Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson. I'm the founder of Stack, the subscription club that delivers a different independent magazine to your door every month. We're trying something a bit different with this episode because it's a recording of one of our Stack Magazine Club conversations. As I said, we send a different magazine out to our subscribers every month and then the following month we invite everyone to join us for a conversation with the editors, designers or publishers who made that last magazine. It's all done via Zoom so it's really easy to just drop in and listen and I think it gives a lovely insight into what these magazines are all about. This was last month's conversation with Aliza Abarbanel and Tanya Bush from Cakezine, the New York-based literary food magazine that we delivered to our subscribers in July. As you'll hear, they went into tons of detail about making the magazine, and if you're already familiar with it, I hope this conversation will help to open it up for you even more. Or, if you've never picked up a copy before, take a look in the stack shop and you'll be able to order one so you can see it all for yourself. But first, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Aliza and Tanya from Cakezine. This is a pretty extraordinary magazine in several ways, and we'll kind of come to the, the different ways. Um, but I noted in the letter that we sent out um, with the magazine I think that I'm right in saying that your launch party was featured in Vogue magazine. Is that right? I think the actual magazine itself was featured in Vogue. We had like a little interview with um, Emma Spector, who's a columnist there right before the the launch of Sexy Cake. Um, I think the actual uh, party itself was covered by The Cut, maybe. Correct me if I'm wrong, Eliza. Right. Yeah, okay. there was a photo in like party coverage roundup. All right, so whichever way we put it, this is not very normal for an independent magazine. So tell us the story, like how how did this whole thing come to be and how did you like get it in right at the top, right from the start? Yeah, um, so I guess this was about like a year and a half ago now, um, which feels so distant yet so close. Um, But Eliza and I um, were running a mutual aid bake sale together in New York. We had met, I think about like six months prior and just had a lot in common. Um, Eliza was an editor at Bon Appetit and sort of in the food media world generally. And I was a baker um, and also sort of trying my hand at writing at the time. And we had an inordinate number of boxes to be packing up for this bake sale that was uh, benefiting um, mutual aids based in New York City. And I sort of pitched her on this idea that I had been mulling over about a magazine sort of dedicated to dessert and more specifically cake. Um, And that that impulse had sort of emerged out of, I think, this sort of fatigue that we both had and that I was sort of feeling um, about the general state of like food media. It felt to me like, um, you know, Bon Appetit had sort of um, been under siege for a while and that there weren't very many sort of like brands and magazines that were doing sort of more interdisciplinary um, work. And it felt like sort of a gap in the market. And so I said, what do you think about a magazine about cake? And um, Eliza was sort of initially quite interested in it. Um, And we each put in about $1,000 along with our uh, designer, Noah Emmerich, who is our art director and designer and has a background in the sort of like fashion world um, and then sort of like design more broadly. And, you know, we were like, here we go. Let's let's give it a a try. Let's make a little an indie little magazine that's, you know, using this thing that we're all and have been so captivated by dessert um, 
and and thinking about it more broadly and in a more sort of like exploratory way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and so, I mean, did this, it probably wasn't as calculated as this, did this feel like you were getting into something that was having a bit of a moment? Like, of course, this was kind of around the time when it's like, is it cake? Was <laughs> suddenly kind of jumped out of YouTube and onto TV. Did it feel like you were doing that? Yeah, I, I think definitely we were noticing a lot of bakers on Instagram getting a lot of traction and interest in cake. This was like pretty early stage of the pandemic. Um, and I think that like there was so much interest in that and it seems like a good topic. And I think, um, you know, just in terms of the energy around cake zine we knew we wanted to have a big launch party like when we started coming together we were thinking about it coming out into the world in early may in new york like uh, right after everyone had been vaccinated i think we felt like this urge that people had to celebrate and cake is obviously such a huge vehicle for celebration so and then we were most excited about cake as a topic because it's so inessential and then also so deeply ingrained in so many different parts of culture around the world. But I think we also kind of thought that it would be a topic that other people would be interested in. So so you so you launched um the magazine um with uh, sexy cake. You then went to uh wicked cake which came out just before Halloween. Did like did you kind of feel like you're just going to keep doing cake? Did, did, did it feel like that was sort of, I mean, obviously the, the name of the magazine suggests that this thing's always going to be about cake. At what point did you feel like you need to kind of broaden your horizons? I think it's very obvious that we named the magazine before we had made anything. And it just was like <laughs> the name for the first issue. Um, and we actually came up with Wicked Cake as our first theme um, and wanted to do two contrasting issues. Tanya and I both have twin sisters um, separately, and we thought that it was fun to think about the magazines as twins. And I think um, Wicked felt like a good winter theme. And we thought like, you know, sexy is a word that gets everyone's attention. So that would be a good one to launch with. And then Tanya, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we kind of felt like we'll do two issues in a year. We'll see how that feels for us. And then we'll go from there. So we kind of didn't really think past that at first. Generally, you know, we like knew that an indie magazine wasn't going to be a moneymaker and we all uh, work other jobs. And I think that like two issues a year felt like all we would really have capacity for. Um, but we really liked a sort of like narrow theme, like not just having it be, you know, cake generally, but we have this sort of like subversive sort of macabre, like wicked iteration of it. And then also this sort of more like lusty spring forward, sexy version. Um, and so we, and when we opened up to pitches, which is something that we did um, for Wicked Cake for the first time, you know, sexy, our first issue was sort of, um, we collected, um, essays and submissions from people in our in our general community. Um, we felt that having a sort of like narrowing device and like a narrow theme um, allowed for more sort of like deep, rich, um, dynamic sort of explorations of a theme rather than having it just be like, you know, cake generally, you know, cake is like so broad. Um, there's so many different types of cake. There's birthday cake, there's wedding cake. Um, and so we felt that like having a sort of like niche theme would um, keep a sort of like tight focused, but sort of like broadly exploratory um, magazine. Um, and then to answer your question, I guess, about like shifting to uh, pie, you know, I think we, um, you know, cake cake is is rich terrain, but we felt 
that it could also be sort of limiting and that we wanted to sort of like stretch our wings a little bit. Um, cakes are so sort of like opulent and they take a lot of labor and pie and like humble pie obviously is sort of like the antithesis of that. Um, and so we had sort of conceived of this year, um, which is both humble pie and then our upcoming issue tough cookie as a sort of like idiomatic expression year and pie just felt like um like a really sort of like approachable um light theme that like would get people thinking about cake scene not just in the realm of cake but sort of like in the broader pastry case i, I love it i love the idea of just sitting down and said let's have an idiomatic expression year this is this is where we need to go and i think i mean you you, you touched on the um I guess the adjectives already. So the so you know clearly like the the cake and the pie are, are very important parts of this. But then you know sexy cake, wicked cake, humble pie. Like it it sort of feels like kind of that's where the humanity comes from. Like the you know that's where you get to dig down and and show um, these sort of maybe unexpected sides of the of the food. And the and with sexy and wicked, you can kind of it's interesting to say that you conceived of them sort of as twins because they are both very emotive they both kind of give you this like edge that you can cut with whereas on the face of it humble pie seems sort of like the opposite the you know humble pie seems so what i mean it's got humility written through it yet the course that you've taken with it has actually kind of pushed it out into a, a different sort of territory yeah i think we found out we realized that we knew humble pie as a theme was maybe less overtly grabby than sexy or wicked. And I think we learned that a lot of people like don't really know what humility means just in the pitches that we received in our own <laughs> conversations of like, how do we want to take this topic? And there are some pieces in the issue that have humility that are some that are about people that are being humbled. Um, and I think that that is the fun part about having a narrow theme is that we have fiction and poetry and recipes and essays. So it is a really narrow theme, but within that it can be blown out into so many different ways. And I think that's kind of the hope with Cake Zine is that you get a lot more than you bargained for when you open it. Well, so and I think one expression of that is the way that you present the magazine so simply. It, it's all It's almost like you've got the strength of this concept uh, of, you know, kind of the uh, the, the sort of uh, idiomatic, maybe uh, surprising uh, angle on food, that that means that then you can kind of step back and and not really push too hard with like, say, the design. I mean, that uh, have you ever been tempted, for example, you know, in your kind of concepts for this, did you ever have a cover that was like, had lots of photography on it or, or illustration or has it always been this totally stripped back? It's always yeah. been. Yeah, it's always been. Take it, always go for been. it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, it's always been. I mean, I think like we, you know, uh, Noah, our art designer and um, like sort of just director of all sort of like aesthetic principles of the magazine has like such uh, an incredible sensibility. And, you know, I think Eliza and I, like once we put together the first issue, we're like, here is this sort of like strange array of, you know, like pieces about like sex and hedonism and sensuality and cake. Like, how are we going to put them into one cohesive place? And I've always like trusted Noah. I had worked with him um, in a variety of different other projects before the magazine. And, you know, he came to us with this, you know, 
in a certain way, like muted cover. But I, I actually think, and Eliza and I were talking about this before, that it has like, you know, it's it's anomalous and that it's not it's not like uh, photograph forward or illustration forward. Um, and in that, I find that it's like really quite grabby, actually. Um, you know, we had a lot of people say that like Sexy Cake specifically was a visually striking cover. Um, and I think that like, you know, uh, in the editorial and managing editorial realm, I always have a lot of strong opinions. Um, but, you know, I know where my place is in the context of the magazine. And <laughs> Noah, like I, I've always distrusted his design sensibilities. And I think that, you know, we've created a really like interesting visual language around the magazine uh, and, the, and the interior, you know, as pared back as it is in certain ways, we have really like strange, fantastical dynamic illustrations by an entirely like a, a wide variety of different kinds of artists. And so to have like a sort of more cohesive cover makes it feel like this sort of like holistically beautiful, carefully um, thought through object. I would say I do have a lot of visual opinions, maybe partially because I was working in magazines for a while. So I am quite comfortable with the collaborative process with an art department and like giving editorial direction. And there's like kind of little design things I wish I'm not in my home right now, so I don't have my other issues with me to show you, but Sexy Cake, the way that the text is laid out, it looks like a cake kind of, and then Humble Pie, we're kind of nodding to a pie slice in terms of the triangle shape of the text. So there are little things we do, but I think that we really just rely on the strength of the theme that we set and hoping that people will see this cover that says Humble Pie on the shelf and it is so different than everything else that will encourage them to pick it up. I think if I could do one thing differently, our Wicked Cake cover, we really wanted it to look like a haunted magazine or cookbook. It's a very dark color palette and the contrast is quite low on the text. So some of our stockists I know were like maybe less enthused about that compared to the other covers we've done that you can read from across the room. But um, I agree with Tanya that I think it's nice for us that we're, we are sticking to something different that's text fo focused. And also I hope that in the future, like we've only ever done like a, a single color background, like maybe next year, if we get into weirder and wilder themes, we'll have uh, maybe a pattern background or something that still is letting the text take the front stage, but is kind of bringing the magazine forward. Mm, yeah, yeah. And I think as well, I mean, the, you know, obviously we've, we've talked about the cover, but, you know, even the way that it's laid out inside, so you've got all these lovely illustrations, but you know, it's it's kind of like there's an illustration at the start of the story and then there's the story for, for the most part. Yeah. It breaks out of that in places. But I think it's it's almost sort of like it, it kind of says to me, it's kind of like uh, it's showing the confidence in the writing that's there because you don't need to dress it up with a whole lot of stuff. And also, you know, you've got this lovely Fedragoni paper. Like it just feels like a lovely thing to hold it's almost like sort of it's kind of putting your confidence in the product as a whole that you're not having to shout about it lots. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I think like, you know, we spend a lot of time and Noah spends a lot of time and care on the like physical object itself. You know, we don't have an online version of our magazine. And so there's a lot of attention that goes into it. Um, you know, I also think that like, to your point, we are trying to like, 
centralize the writing. We are not a design magazine. We are not, not an art magazine. Even if we have like gestures of that, we are a literary magazine. And so like, you know, as much as like, there are moments of sort of like playful design. Um, I'm thinking of Josh Gondelman's piece. Um, I'm thinking of um, the, the history of the pieing to the face um, by Tara Kenny. You know, there are definitely moments where we're sort of like playing with a theme or leaning into something in terms of the design, but Generally, like we do want the text to sort of like speak for itself and shine as like, you know, center stage. So I, I'm interested that you just described the magazine as a literary magazine because, and I like 100% agree. I think that's how I described it in our letter, but there's also like such a strong element of recipes in this. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on kind of like, where do you place this in terms of it's a literary magazine? It's got a ton of recipes that, Clearly, you actually want people to follow and go and try and make this stuff. And then it's also kind of like a more sort of lifestyle magazine about food. Like, where, where do you place yourselves? I think my elevator pitch, I say that we're a literary food publication, which I think is helpful that literary is the first term, but food is our focus in terms of culture. You know, there are some people that will sit down and like read a cookbook like a novel. Maybe some of those people are on this Zoom with us right now, because I do think there is an interest in cookbooks that are written in that format. And Tanya is actually working on a literary cookbook right now. So I think that like, I really do think of her as a pioneer in like the literary food space, which she's gonna hate me for saying right now, but I think that's how we think about it. And the recipes come in because, um, you know, people have always had recipes. And I think especially when you read an old cookbook or an old magazine that has almost like strange recipes, it's a like a totem or an artifact of a different period of time of the way people are engaging with food. And I think that, especially in Humble Pie, the Desperation Pies package that we did, which are all modern recipes inspired by pie recipes that were created in times of scarcity. Like that was really, I think, fun for us that we could be kind of continuing in this recipe tradition that has guided food media for a long time and giving people a secondary way to interact with the magazine that you can read it and then you can also make something from it and feed other people with it, um, which is a way that I think a lot of people that care about food interact with food. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And I'll also note that um, Humble Pie has like our most recipes per issue to date. Um, we felt that it was important for there to be like uh, ways for people to like engage with the magazine in a more physical way and like bring it into their own homes, you know? Um, and I think it's, it's also our first issue with, with fiction. So we were just like interested in continuing to sort of like expand the bounds of what like a traditional, like food publication can look like. Um, and I think that that's something we like remain committed to. It's like a, a defining part of the cake zine ethos is that we want forms of writing that like aren't typically thought of to be found in like a classic sort of like food context. Um, you know, as Eliza said, like I'm, I'm currently um, working on like a literary cookbook and it's been so interesting to sort of delve into the history of like narrative in the context of recipes, which there's actually a lot more sort of like um, playful, like interdisciplinary food work coming out of the UK than there is in the US. Um, so it's, it's cool to like talk to a UK based audience because a lot of my favorite books are, are like from writers who are sort of, yeah, in your world. 
Um, but yeah, I think that like, we don't, we haven't, we didn't see a lot of that happening in the States. And so we wanted to sort of like bring just like different kinds of forms, whether that be like a recipe, like, you know, and then next to it is a poem or like a short story. And then like next to it is like a listicle. Um, and they all sort of like have a place, um, in the context of a, like what, what we believe to be a food magazine, a literary food magazine. Mm-hmm. And I guess also just on a practical perspective, like we make this magazine not for self-described food people necessarily, but just people that are interested in culture in general. But the professional world that we exist in in New York is very much tied to the food community and the food industry. And I think it's a strength of ours that we have access to really talented recipe developers that like want to contribute. And it is a nice way of us kind of showing the food community and food media that you can be doing recipe work, you can be giving people things to cook at home, and then also kind of pushing the genre forward in these other formats. I think it kind of gives us a niche in a community that we can also kind of do things. You know, we have like tattoos at our launch parties that are inspired by the issue. I don't know another food publication that does that. Like we can kind of straddle multiple worlds by having recipes have a really prominent place in the issue. It was was the piece called Dilemma of the Food uh recipe writer or something like that but I mean, recipe recipe writer. Writer. Yeah. yeah yeah okay so i'd never considered before <laughs> like how difficult that is but i i guess tanya that must be something that you have like first-hand experience of uh yeah like test, testing recipes definitely i i um and writing and right and writing for sure yeah right writing a recipe i um yeah i'm actually like currently the the book that I'm working on is sort of like there's a, a book within a book and the narrator is sort of grappling with what it means to be recipe testing and in this sort of like elliptical mode is making the same recipe over and over and over again with like slight sort of narrative changes so that you're sort of like the reader is sort of replicating this process of you know make like doing something physically the same way with slight changes over and over and over again until it like comes to this like you know ready-made package to be consumed um so yeah it is something i think a lot about and i also think to add to eliza's last point um you know we really we like to have like all kinds of people participating in our magazine you know and so like we you know we're very much like ensconced in the food community in new york um but we like to give like people who aren't traditional writers um like the opportunity to write something more extended and give like you know a head note to a recipe maybe from a baker who um hasn't like written as much professionally to give it the same sort of like editorial feedback and care that we give all of like the essays and stories that we're doing that feels like a really essential um like you know, part of the cake zine ethos is that like really a lot of a lot of food people can write about food in really interesting ways. And a lot of non-food people can write about food in interesting and unexpected ways. And we want to give like create the forum for that and and like help everyone sort of shine. So so tell us then how you actually go about doing that. So the, are you in the first instance like reaching out to specific like people who you know saying like, I think you do a great job of this? Or is it more that you kind of just put the call out and say, okay, next time it's humble pie, tell us what you're, you know, give us your ideas. It's kind of a yes and situation. We start by writing a pitch guide, which is introducing the theme, which I think is a nice opportunity for us to sit down and think about like, what does our dream magazine look like? And I think the final product always has some pieces that we've wanted from the start and then some that we get pitched that we could have never thought of. So we will write up a pitch guide and then send it out into the world. And we get 
hundreds of pitches and Tanya really does a first pass on weeding out the ones that are, you know, about bread or cookies or wickedness or have like no real tie to the theme. And then at the same time, we're also soliciting from people that we know professionally or personally that we think would bring something to the magazine or that we want to work with. And then we will bring a uh, trim down maybe like 40 pitches out of like the 400 that we've gotten truly a lot um, to our editorial board, which is a group of editors that work on the issue with us. And we all will come up with our proposed lineups and then kind of battle royale, talk it out and think about what pieces complement each other, which ones make sense. Tanya, did I miss anything? No, that's totally right. Yeah, yeah. that's how we do it. <laughs> and and so, so that's presumably the word side. So then how about the illustration and photography? We will like talk with Noah, our designer, about what kinds of illustration or photo we want for each, each, each one. And we have an open call for visual pairing at the same time. So if an illustrator wants to work with us, they can just get submitted into that pool. And then Noah will normally do a first pass on pairing illustrators. And we'll talk about, we really want the tone of this piece to have a certain quality. So this illustrator is right for it, but we don't have them work on drafts until we can send them like a solid draft of text to work off of just so that it can feel cohesive and right. Yeah, yeah. The, I'm always interested to see the, so like, you know, when we send the magazines out to our subscribers, we get people posting their pictures uh, of yeah. the, uh, the, the the magazine at home, which I love. Um, and it's really interesting to see the spreads that people kind of coalesce around. And so this one with the, um, the spam musubi pie is the one that lots of people stopped on and, and took their picture of that. So tell us a, a little bit about who's the photographer here. Uh, Adam Friedlander. Yeah, Adam is um, a super accomplished photographer. I think he he works in both like the food and fashion and sort of like general sort of brand spaces. Um, and I had worked with him on like he did like a headshot for me at some point and we all really loved his style. And so we just sort of approached him and we're like, hey, would you be interested in shooting for us? Um, and he had this amazing studio in um, Bushwick. And so we like brought all of the different like recipe makers together on one day. And we had um, Pearl Jones, who's an incredible food stylist. Um, and Julia Rose, who's an amazing prop stylist, all come together. And we just sort of like had this day where we ate pie and we shot all of these these different recipes. Um, and, and Stacy herself is like an incredible baker. She just had a big book come out called 50 Pies, 50 States. Um, Eliza actually interviewed her on the Taste podcast recently, if you want to jump in Eliza and talk about her book. Oh yeah, her book is incredible. So she grew up in Hong Kong and then moved to New York later in life. And when she decided to become, to get her green card and like become an American citizen, she did a project where she decided to bake a pie that represents every one of the 50 states and then give it to somebody from that state, which if you live in New York, there are a lot of people from different states, but she still had to like, you know, go find someone from Wyoming and North Dakota and some of the like less well-represented states. But I thought that was such a great project. And then she turned that into a book. Uh, and then I think she actually just pitched us from the pitch call. The recipe that she pitched us is a Spam Musubi pie, which is kind of riffing off Spam Musubi, which is a popular snack and Hawaii and kind of talking about the way that spam is incorporated into different Asian American Pacific Islander communities after World War II brought American GIs and spam over. Uh, and I think that this was one of the pitches we got 
that made us decide to come up with the desperation pies package. We got a couple of pitches from people, the mock apple pie as well, which is using Ritz crackers as a substitute for fruit that had a theme around them already. And I think that that was kind of exciting to us that Stacey's recipe, I think is definitely one of the more modern interpretations because it's not riffing on a spam pie that existed in the past. It's more of using this ingredient that was in times of scarcity and turning that into a pie. And in her head note, she says that this is like as American as apple pie, which I think is fun for us. Um, pie is obviously a very like stereotypically American food, but we tried to come at that from different ways. And the issue and that shot is also just so beautiful. I remember when we got it in the studio, we all knew that that would be an issue. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just want to remind everybody, if anyone has any questions that they'd like to ask, please just put them in the chats. Uh, and I'll try and get to them. Um, so the, I'm, I'm interested that you just talked about, you know, American as apple pie. Mm. One of the things that I love about this magazine is actually reading it as it, it's kind of a commentary on America or it's a commentary on like the way that you see the world from an American perspective. I mean, is is this just an extension of the fact that you're based in New York, that's where the writers also are, or, or are you more consciously trying to give uh, a kind of an American picture. What do you think? I think this was kind of our like most American issue because we have the Desperation Pies package, which are a lot of American food traditions. We have Elise Inamine's piece, which is her as a Japanese American trying to find the origins of Japanese fruit pie, which is a American Southern pie that actually has no connection to Japan at all. So I think that because of this kind of Americana tradition, this is more of an American issue. Tough Cookie that we're working on right now has a lot of um, international writers and also like international cookies that are being talked about. Um, Tanya, do you think this is like an American issue? Kind of. Uh, humble pie? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think in, in sensibility in certain ways, I mean, like much of the history that we're covering, you know, as you said, with the sort of um, the desperation pies package, and then even the sort of like pieing in the face moments, most of those are like, uh, based in the U S. Um, I think that like, you know, as Eliza sort of said, we have been interested in expanding into a sort of more like international mode with our next issue. Um, and like every culture has a cookie and, you know, I think emerging out of humble pie, which does feel like so distinctly like American in its sensibility um, that we wanted to do something that felt a little bit um, more global. Um, so that's been sort of like a concerted issue with this with this next issue. Um, we have, I think, two UK based writers also as well who are a part of it, which we're really excited about um, each writing about sort of like a different take on one sort of more international cookie and another a more sort of like London based um, viral cookie. Um, but I think, you know, we are like constantly like growing and evolving. And I think the like really nice thing about being an indie magazine with such a small team is that, you know, like we can constantly be reprioritizing and thinking about like what, why we choose a theme and like what it brings to our sort of like mission. And, you know, I think humble pie was like very sort of American, but I think in a sort of subversive way, right? We weren't sort of like inculcating this notion of Americana. We were sort of um, railing against it. And I think that like tough cookie feels like new terrain and exciting terrain for us. So, I mean, the totally the, the subversion, I think like my favorite line, the whole thing, cherry pie belongs at a gas station on a highway mm. sticking her thumb out. That's just like, it. 
yeah, I, I guess I'd never thought of it like that before. <laughs> yeah, our recipe editor is um, from Paris. And I remember talking with her about when we like chose the theme for humble pie. She was like, we don't have pie in France. We have tarts. And I was like, OK, like this is going to be like a distinctly American issue. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we've had a, a question from David about back issues. So the so um, do you still have copies of the first two issues available? Um, we do. Um, so we have. So unfortunately, Sexy Cake, uh, the print edition is entirely sold out. Um, we uh, have a, a, a number of requests for it right now. Um, I think a lot of people who are like interested in collecting the whole set. Um and so hopefully at some point we will reprint it. Um, we do have uh, a digital version available for purchase on our website. And then we do have copies of Wicked Cake available. Um, so, you know, uh, hopefully sometime soon we'll have Sexy Cake. But for now, um, it's not it's not available for purchase in, in, in print form. And so then also we should talk about the various merch uh that you have uh, made along the way so the is this kind of like in collaboration with friends or kind of you know, how, how do you come to this stuff well first of all tell us what you've done um we've done two shirts so far for wicked cake and humble pie with a new york-based design studio called social species that are friends of ours um i guess we were friendly and then we started doing shirts with them and now we're friends which is fun <laughs> the first shirt was for wicked cake and the inspiration was to do like a metal band inspired t-shirt, but for a recipe instead of a band. So it says Death by Chocolate on the front in kind of a Slayer Metallica font. And then the back is all of Sola Oweli's recipe from Wicked Cake styled as tour dates. Um, and that I think is kind of our most iconic shirt. We will get photos from friends of other people wearing them around the city. My dad was wearing one in Los Angeles where I'm from and had a like old metal dude come up to him and say, oh yeah, I was at that concert, which my dad was like, <laughs> no, you weren't. Not <laughs> but that I think is fun and has a big reaction from people. And then Humble Pie, we did, the front is very kind of pared down and humble. It just says Humble Pie. And then the back is styled like a recipe or a guest check or receipt. Um, and it has like all of the categories of things in the issue kind of tallied up as if you were ordering at a diner. Um, and we actually did a pop-up shop at our New York launch party in June where we sold both issues and both shirts. And it was kind of like surprising because obviously we've made all of these things, but I think to actually be sitting in one place looking at everything we've made together, it was kind of exciting. I was like, well, after Tough Cookie, we're really going to like have a shop's worth of material, which is I think just a fun thing for us to be doing um, and to have people that like want to rep cake scene or have no idea what cake scene is and like just think the shirt is cool i think like both of those things are special totally yeah and, and does i mean does that kind of does it contribute to you making some money to make the next issue or is it is it much more of a marketing thing that you do no it's a nice little side revenue you know uh printing magazines is, is expensive and uh printing shirts actually can have a bigger return for us and like also we make one design and then we can reprint it it kind of is less laborious than making a whole magazine tanya do you want to mention the like food collabs that we do as well 
Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess these aren't exactly merch, but like we, we this is just like, marketing. Yeah, we have like other activations around each issue of the magazine. So um, for our for Wicked Cake, we did a uh, ice cream collaboration with this amazing um, duo behind Bad Habit, um, which is like a Bad Habit and Coletta, which is a sort of like little ice cream wine bar shop on the Lower East Side. And they made um, like devil's food cake um, ice cream pints, which obviously felt very on theme. And then this past issue for Humble Pie, we did a collaboration with Kate's Key Lime Pie. Um, and she made a like saltine based crust um, Atlantic Beach Pie, which is like a very sort of like humble take on a citrusy, like creamy, um, tangy forward pie. Um, and we had that like available to uh, folks in New York who were interested in purchasing. And I think, again, that's just like a really nice way for us to like, one, make something that like people can consume and like enjoy that feels like related to the magazine but also like we get to like work with really interesting um food partners and like they become our friends and you know Kate made um pies for our launch party at Public Records um so like it just you know continues to help us sort of like expand our orbit um and also like it's just really fun to make delicious things like we obviously love dessert we are making an entire magazine about it so um yeah that feels super rewarding and so you and, and Sorry, go on. I was just gonna say, and we don't make money on that at all. Like that's really, I mean, it's, it's marketing in a certain way, but it's also really just like for fun. I mean, I think like one thing to note about all of this is that like, you know, like uh, we have grown a lot in the last year and a half that we've been around and like, we're so excited by that growth, but like, you know, it's still like a, like, it is not easy to make like a magazine, a print magazine that is printed as beautifully as ours, like financially sustainable. And like our founding team, like hasn't taken a single cent yet. So, you know, we continue to like think about creative ways that we can like make this like a sustainable venture in the future, um, whether that's like through merch, which like hasn't really been the path um, or sort of like other marketing activations and reaching a broader audience. So, so what is, what's the ambition with the magazine then? Do you want to keep on, you know, doing it as you're doing at the moment and it's not really important that you don't make any money from it or do you sort of, you know, have a, a kind of trajectory in mind for it? Hmm. I think of it as like short-term and long-term, at least for myself, you know, as Tanya mentioned, like everybody on our team has multiple jobs that we do and like I don't do cake scene because I count on it for income, I think for me, it's a really exciting project that has a lot of momentum around it and is an excuse to kind of do whatever we want within reason and play around with it. I've mentioned our launch parties a little bit, which I'm very involved in planning that like, we have no real reason to have a launch party with tattoo artists and DJs and like 800 people coming. Like we definitely don't sell 800 magazines at the launch party, but I think that it Kind of supports the magazine as a social object which is the premise that we've had from the start and as long as we have growth in terms of what we're able to do and who we're able to work with like that's serving us and i think having more money would definitely let us do even more financially inadvisable things which would be really fun and we love to like pay everyone that we work with fairly and i think that would include ourselves so i think like that is the goal but i think the path to getting there maybe because of my own personal background in editorial, like I'm very skeptical of uh, corporations in media and like very like large scale growth. And I don't necessarily want cake zine to be sold in every grocery store around the country. I think that, you know, I call us a small batch magazine and the way that people do like small batch ice cream or dessert. And I think that 
there's hopefully a middle ground of scale we can reach where we're able to you know, spend time on issues that we're paid fairly for, like maybe we could do more if it was a full-time project. But I think like where we're at right now is a nice place. Um, Tanya has grand ambitions, so I'll let her say what she would <laughs> like to have. <laughs> it's like the pessimist and the optimist. <laughs> we balance each other out. Um, the realist, the realist. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like I, I have a lot of, we, we both of course have like so much faith and like admiration for this thing that we've built and like seeing how much it's resonated with people is really exciting. And I think I totally agree with Eliza that like cake zine for us is like a way to continue to do like exciting collaborative things with people that we admire and in whatever form that takes over the next few years. Um, like I'm excited about, I think like, you know, we've like really this year, one of the things that we're trying to figure out is how to make this like more sustainable. And I don't have like a really like easy answer, or, like pithy soundbite to offer here because like, you know, unless someone else has the answer and I would love to hear it. Um, but, you know, I think like it's incremental and like we've only been around for a year and a half. And I think there are so many exciting things that we're getting to do through Cake Scene. And like every year we set like different goals and like, you know, we're going to be coming to the UK in December um, and like doing an event. And that's really exciting um, that we're in, you know, nascent stages of planning. But, um, you know, like figuring out different opportunities that feel like aligned for us as people and also with Cake Scene and like having those interests coincide is, is I think like a huge goal for us. Um, and then like, a, a pipe dream goal um, or like a pie, pie in the sky actually is a better, the pie in the sky um, <laughs> would be, you know, Eliza and I occasionally flirt with the idea of, um, you know, far down the line, um, some kind of like uh, natural wine dessert bar. Um, I'm a pastry chef and I, I work at a restaurant here in Brooklyn. And um, I think it would be really like fun to have like a physical space that is like a manifestation of this really amazing, dynamic, diverse community that we've built. Um, and also there isn't really like in New York, a place where one can go for like really good wine and like a really delicious dessert um, at a later hour. And so I think that would be really fun. Um, but one thing at a time. And we would sell, we would sell magazines. Oh also. yeah. There would be <laughs> like a little, yeah, we've got a whole envisioning. We'd sell magazines. There'd be like a little reading room. Maybe there's a sound component. Um, so and I think like that's partially inspired by Noble Rot, which is a London based uh, natural wine magazine that has a couple wine bars. And I think um, shows the fact that when you have built a community that will show up for you in different ways that, and you're already kind of pitching people on the perspective that you have. I think anyone who like reads Cake Scene or has been to a Cake Scene event would kind of be interested in the Cake Scene party you could go to anytime. But um, yeah, that's a, I think this is as far as that dream has gotten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, so, okay. So so we go from the, the pie in the sky and the big dreams so, to a question from Maggie. So uh, she says, other than financial sustainability, What's been the toughest part of making the magazine maybe unexpectedly tough? For me, and maybe Tanya would say something else, I have a lot of experience making magazines. I did not have any experience getting the magazines to people, which involved, you know, we started, don't tell the government, but we started sales before we were a registered business. So we had no way to pay sales tax. And we kind of thought we would be at a smaller scale. So I just wasn't thinking about that. But then we were actually doing sales and we had to 
register a business and figure out how to pay sales tax and like work with distribution and all of those things that when you work in a magazine that's run by a corporation, there's an entirely separate side of the business that you never interact with. So for me, that was just like, oh, we've done all of this work and it's actually like maybe 50% of the whole work that has to happen. But I think the benefit of doing multiple issues is that like now we kind of have a better sense of how long things will take. But of course it always changes. Like we moved printing in the UK for this issue, which was really great from a quality and a cost perspective. But then we had to get the books on a boat over to US, which felt very, you know, uh, 1920s of us. And we had to like build that into (laughs) our timelines for everything. So there's always kind of production things that are happening that are unexpected for me. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, um, I think that because we're such a small team, we have our like hands in so many different pies. Um, sorry to keep it. You got to stop. <laughs> like, I can't stop. Um, someone get me off the zoom. Um, but I think that it's just like, you know, if we had the time to like just be dedicating towards like the editorial work or, um, you know, like the party planning or the sort of like managing ed stuff that I do, I think it would feel more manageable, but it always feels like there's something else that like we're forgetting or sort of, um, you know, that like isn't getting our full attention because we have a, a number of other things to constantly be attending to. And I think that's like both been really tough, but also exciting because, you know, I don't think either of us really set out to like run our own businesses. I think we were just like, let's make a magazine and see what happens. Um, and you know, like there's a lot of like very practical knowledge that I feel like I'm, I'm really learning. Um, and even if it's like, can be frustrating at times to have so much going on at once and to feel that like, you know, once you wrap a magazine, you're already thinking about the next one. I also feel that like, you know, like it's, I feel very like, I guess, suited to it in a way. Like, you know what I, I, I think I actually heard John at Courier, um, the editor of Courier say something about this when I was doing the mag culture talk, but he was saying that like the pleasures of a magazine or that like, you know, you, you start, you start and you're like deep in this sort of editorial process. And then suddenly you're in production mode. And then you're like, you're not like touching the creative side at all and you're getting magazines to people and then you start all again. And because you've been in such a different mode for the past couple months, it feels really like new and exciting to be back into like uh, the creative part of it or the like editorial part of it or like the photo shoot. Um, So I feel like that sort of uh, like dynamism is both like what's really tough and also like to me ultimately like quite rewarding because you like touch so many parts of a business, you learn so many different aspects of it and it's like constantly sort of dynamic and shifting. So you're never really bored. Mm. And it sounds yeah. like, oh, sorry, go on, go on. I just would say like, I think another thing is um, Tanya and I like have a very generative friendship and business relationship. And a lot of the people we work with, I think I feel really similarly about and like, we don't need to be, doing ice creams and like international parties and a newsletter that is like very robust like these are all things that we are excited by that we start doing and then we see value in them for a reason and I think that our ambitions are maybe unexpectedly tough to navigate with the realities of working other jobs and having only so much time that we can do on this but I think that is probably the best part about it that there are so many things that we could choose to do that would make sense for us because we've built a magazine but we've also kind of been building a brand that has a magazine as the heart of it and as a flagship product but that is doing other things as well 
Mm-hmm. So the the party in December, I take it that this is kind of like early stages at the moment. Mm-hmm. And could, can you yeah. say anything about it? Um, probably, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I don't so. It will have magazines for sure. Okay, cookies. and is this to, is this coincided with the launch of the Tough Cookie issue? Yeah, definitely. So we're going to have like a big launch party in New York as we normally do, but we're also going to have um, sort of like a, a London satellite event. Um, Eliza, how do you feel about me mentioning two of the London-based contributors? That's totally fine. Our venue is not locked and I'm superstitious, yeah. but there will be magazines and dessert tied to the issue. And Tanya is right that we have some London-based contributors that I think will help to involve in the event if you want to talk about that. Yeah, so we have um, we have Chloe Rose Crabtree, who is the pastry chef at um, Bake Street London, and she makes these like viral creme brulee cookies um, that like sort of made the rounds for a while. And so it would be really we're excited to have her like as a part of the event. And then also Felicity Spector, who's obviously like a household name for a lot of like food oriented folks in the UK, is writing a piece about um, a Ukrainian bakery. Um, that she's like had a relationship with for the past couple of years. So it felt like, you know, like a really natural opportunity for us to come to the UK. Also, um, we just like wanted to travel a little bit and we have like a pretty large audience over there. So um, we'd love to see you guys there if you're around. Amazing. And when we have more details, including a location, we will obviously share them yeah, with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely coming. I'm definitely not getting a tattoo, uh, but I'll, I'll <laughs> eat everything. <laughs> That's how I do it. Look, thanks ever so much for uh, taking the time to talk. Um, I'm so pleased that we were able to send this one out to our subscribers. Uh, and um, I guess I'll look forward to seeing you in December. Love it. Thank you so Thank much you. for having us. Yeah. We were like really happy to get to share Humble Pie with everyone at Stack and to talk about it with you too. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, but thanks you too. And thanks everybody. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming and joining us. Bye Have now. A good one. Okay, that's it for this week. I'd like to say thanks again to Elisa and Tanya and to the Stack subscribers who joined us for that conversation last month. I actually recorded our latest magazine club this week with the team from Zweikommer Sieben, so I'll be releasing that at some point in the next few weeks. And you can also check the Stack blog to see videos of all of our magazine club conversations. But of course, the best way to enjoy it is to actually be a Stack subscriber receive the magazine from us and then join us for a chat on Zoom the following month. And if you're going to do that, use the code podcast when you subscribe and you'll save 10% on our regular prices. And I'll personally thank you at the end of next week's podcast. It hasn't happened yet, uh, so you could be the first. Go to stackmagazines.com, use the discount code podcast when you subscribe and you'll save 10% and you'll receive my personal thanks. Okay, I'm going to stop begging people to subscribe now. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, If you have, please follow us wherever you get your podcasts so we can send our new ones to you as soon as they're ready. And I'll be back with another episode next week.